Hi, and welcome back to the Voice First Roundtable for August 29th, 2017. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of a company called Score Publishing based in Nashville, Tennessee. And our sponsor for today's podcast is Voice XP, blazing the trail in voice technology. Voice XP is taking the lead in developing Alexa skills for some of the best brands in the world. With Voice XP, all you have to do is say it to revolutionize your marketing strategy. Check out what these folks are doing at voicexp.com. So we're thrilled to be joined today by the folks at Earplay. We've got John Myers with us. John, say hello. Hi. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you very much. And we've got Dave Grossman as well, hailing from Seattle, where he will be speaking on a panel in just a bit. Dave, thank you very much for making the time for us as well. Happy to be here. Hi. What y'all are doing is really, really interesting. And I want to get into it. Earplay is making games and interactive experiences for voice platforms such as Alexa. And I'll let you guys talk about that. But but first, if both of you, and John, we'll start with you, just share uh, a little bit about your background and how you got to the point of being involved with Earplay. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So um, originally, I you know, spent kind of my 20s doing theater. Um, I you know, got a graduate degree in communication. I was studying acting. Um, I got into playwriting almost on accident because I had to take a, a course on writing as a result of you know, being in an acting program. Um, and I found out I was really good at it and had, a, had a, you know, an ear for dialogue. <clears throat> and I kept taking that forward. I got an MFA at BU. Um, and then I needed to find a way to make a living <laughs> after, after receiving an MFA. And, you know, after sort of a lot of bouncing around and, you know, getting some awards for my writing, it, it, it was clear that I could make a living in the games industry. And I'd always played games uh, when I was younger. Uh, I actually played some games that Dave made. <laughs> and um, it, it, to me, it was, um, it was about a career path rather than sort of living out some dream. That, that I had had in the past. Um, and so I was very practical and very sort of freelancery about it. And I, you know, gained some success in that, in adapting IPs in particular. I worked for a company called uh, Zynga Boston. We did Indiana Jones Adventure World. Then I worked for Disruptor Beam and did um, Game of Thrones Ascent. It's another social game based on the Game of Thrones universe. And I found that, you know, I had a knack for not only sort of writing dialogue, but also looking at interactive conversational systems as a way of of providing entertaining story, um, you know, taking sort of choose your own adventure style um, interactions and bringing them forward into today's sort of game systems, in particular in Game of Thrones, that worked well. And um, coming out of all those experiences, I, you know, had watched the managers or the, I'm sorry, the CEOs of those companies, uh, again, Zynga Boston being Nabil Hyatt and then John Radoff of, um, you know, Disruptor Beam. And I also worked with actually um, Alex Schwartz of Alchemy Labs. They were the ones that that recently were acquired by Google, one of the first VR startups to have a successful exit. And, and I just was observing them and thought, well, you know, I could, I could come up with, you know, I could, I could form my own studio. And at the time, there, was a, there still is sort of an indie games movement. And, um, and it started out that way, became very quickly a much more um, lucrative option because I was taking 
conversational systems, and Dave came along very shortly afterwards, and, and turning them into sort of an interactive audio experience, um, which was very different than anything that was like screen-based or video-based, and it sort of took off for there. We did a Kickstarter, and the, you know, I, can, I, can, I can get into the earplay stuff, but that's sort of how it converged as it started out playwriting moved into games and then and then um, just sort of had the luck of getting involved in something that would take off a couple of years later very cool and uh, Dave as we were talking about before the podcast began uh, you had a, a number of years of experience in one of my favorite game companies telltale games share with us a little bit about uh, your experience and sort of how you got to where you are with your play today well I was a um, a computer science a uh, kid who I also got into games kind of by accident, but have enjoyed my my time making them and and have made a long career out of it. Uh, I I have been making interactive narratives of various kinds for for basically my whole career. Uh, I made uh, graphic adventures at at Lucas Arts in the uh, sort of late '80s and early '90s, and then uh, I did uh, games for kids for a while and and interactive books and, and that sort of thing. Uh, working freelance with a lot of different companies, kind of through the rest of the '90s and on into the aughts, and then, uh, like you said, I, I uh, directed design and writing at Telltale uh, for nine years, uh, where we sort of refined some different versions of, of, of interactive narrative there. And I met uh, I met John at a at a industry conference. It was um, the game game developer conference narrative summit in, in Austin in, in 2011, and we sort of hit it off and, and kept up uh, after that. So then, uh, when he told me what he was up to uh, with earplay, that sounded like a good a good next thing for me to do. A good a good way to uh, kind of flex the muscles that I have already and and, and also develop some new ones. Yeah, and and I remember we we'd we'd been talking sort of back and forth. You know, we'd always meet up at these conferences and chat. And we had a, a, a similar sort of theory or philosophy on how like good like interactive narrative in a dramatic sense works. And I, I recall I, I the very first time I even mentioned like oh you should come come be a part of earplay. Uh, it, it wasn't even quite earplay. It was still Reactive Studios. We hadn't shifted. Uh, our brand into, into earplay yet and i said it kind of jokingly it was almost like a hey you know you're going to be the creative lead of the company here <laughs> and i was actually really surprised that that worked out that way yeah little, little did you know that i was sort of already um already casting my eyes about uh, for, for for the next thing i was going to do very cool and uh let's start with the business aspect because we'll i want to talk games with y'all uh and and pick your brain a little bit about just games in general since i am a huge gamer and have been uh since a very early age but let's start with the business side of things i'm very very intrigued to get uh, y'all's opinion on the state of monetization of Alexa specifically and voice uh, platforms in general. Describe for me, John, uh, your level of comfort uh, with where monetization is today for what Earplay is doing and where you hope to see it go uh, short term. Yeah. So um, it's funny. It's like I don't think of it so much in level of comfort as in as much as I do like uh, how early versus late as a market because i know i'm very confident and i'm 100% certain that this is a market and it's emerging and it's happening i mean based on you know the data that we have uh, you know the fact that we already made money off of um codename cygnus which was an interactive radio drama we put out in 2013 did a kickstarter for and people wanted more of it even back then it was just kind of an io obscure ios thing so i've seen the consumers react to what we create 
Um, and even when sort of Alexa came along, uh, at first it was everything was just sort of speech to text. We'd already been doing this interactive audio with human voices. And so we were just kind of waiting for the opportunity for the system and the, and, and the, the platforms to kind of emerge that, that would bring the audience <laughs> that we knew wanted this. And so, so when I think of like, you know, where we are in my comfort zone, it's like, uh, obviously I'm not as comfortable with the fact that it's still too early kind of, but compared to where we were like a year and a half ago and we were kind of mobile first and we weren't sure that Alexa, what was going to happen with Alexa. And now, you know, flash forward two years later and we've got tons and tons of people that are signing up and giving us great reviews and saying they want more. So in that sense, I'm very comfortable that, that you know, we're a lot further along. Uh, but in the sense of monetization right this moment, obviously it's, it's still early. But we've, because we started early ourselves, we have developed our technology you know, from the ground up. We've built an entire back end that, that we started, again, was sort of mobile first, but we always had a distribution system, a, a, an idea of a publishing platform that could, you know, where writers and designers could make this stuff and it could be distributed out among all devices. And at the time that, you know, the, the idea of devices was mobile, we knew there was this future where you talk to things that was coming. Um, did not, again, did not know it was going to be Alexa. So as a result, and I'm sorry, it's a little bit of a long-winded answer, but like, as a result, we've kind of built our own processing or our own purchasing uh, mechanisms into that platform. Um, and so we've been sort of waiting and watching and observing and, and spending a lot of time talking with, you know, Alexa and Google and these other emerging um, um, hardwares to find out when, when that moment is going to be where we kind of have when there's sort of a watershed moment. We're not sort of we're not waiting around. We've actually developed and we've set up some deals. And I can't really talk a lot about that. But uh, for us, it's just a matter of finding that right timing um, and, and selling it. And so I, I'm, I'm very confident that people want this and it's something that people will pay for. Uh, but the mechanisms and, and when we start to see, I would say, like a really like fast growing market, that's, it, it, it remains to be seen. But I'm always looking at the holidays as sort of turning points too, you know. Sure. To, to mention the short term thing, you know, I, I would look towards this, these holidays as a chance for, a, 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 you know, a lot of people who are developing their own mechanisms for purchasing to kind of come out and say, hey, you know, buy from us here or buy from us there. Because, for example, Spotify doesn't require Alexa to, you know, to monetize. And we, we kind of look at it that way, too. The holidays, I think, will be explosive, to put it mildly, you know, because you've got the HomePod coming and, and uh, you've got Amazon doing everything they can to sort of preempt that. And, of course, Google and everybody else trying to get in the space. I, I think you're right. For EarPlay, um, you know, there's been a lot of conversations and people listening to this podcast uh, are probably aware, but some won't be, that, you know, Amazon has got exponential growth in the number of developers creating skills, uh, you know, voice applications for their hardware. And yet they have not uh, allowed thus far uh, developers to charge for those applications. And instead, there is a uh, monetization system in place where based on some algorithm that is not public uh, that Amazon controls, they decide within certain genres of Alexa skills, games being one of them, that uh, once you get a certain amount of usage, you know, utility, uh, however they measure that, engagement, probably the best word, they will, uh, you know, reach into the black box and pull out a check for you every month. Have you been satisfied with that process or is there still, is that anywhere close to being the main revenue stream 
for what you guys are doing, um, or you still are looking primarily toward you know monetizing on the web or or, or through apps or through other ways as your main revenue? Yeah, we don't see it as uh, a main revenue stream for what we're we're calling longer form or premium based content. Um, for putting out what we do with uh, earplay, we never thought we would monetize the just the basic earplay demo and some of the f- little short free things that we put out there. And we're putting more of that out there as well. So to us, it's just an add on. It's additional. So that's really nice. And I feel okay. you know, it, it's, it's meant to be, I think, an incentive. I don't think it's meant to be a business sustaining uh, source of revenue for, for anyone. I, I mean, we have done very well, uh, you know, and I, I shouldn't complain because, you know, we it, it definitely covers our, our office rent, for example. And, you know, in the first two months that that was available, we received over $10,000. Uh, so that, you know, we um, are ranking in the, I would, I would say probably the top five every month or so. Um, and, and it's been great. I think that, you know, compared to not having it, <laughs> I'd much rather have that. Sure. Uh, but, but at the same time, I think it's, it's a matter of valuing the content. And the reason I appreciate it most is that it's, it, it, it's kind of a, a public statement in ways of, of saying that, that certain metrics, whatever they are, we don't know what they are, but uh, you know, the engagement or, or usage um, or popularity uh, has a value in this world. Right. And I think that that's the statement that for us, you know, when we're talking to investors and, and trying to actually build a business, it's, it's a great kind of turning point. It's a great sign that, that it's heading in that direction that I was describing earlier. Um, again, it's getting there slower, but, um, for us, you know, what we're looking at for, for our own, uh, uh, notions of monetization is yes, we will be very happy to hook into whatever purchasing mechanisms come up from, you know, the, the main voice services. But I think a lot of developers are going to have to do that work themselves on their own, uh, side of things, because what we are developing is web services to begin with. So in some ways, uh, you know, we, we all, you know, all of us developers that want to monetize have to, you know, have to do some work um, to be ready for whatever comes out of that. But in our sense, we were fortunate enough, uh, the third co-founder and um, uh, C-level uh, employee at, at uh, Earplay besides me and Dave is, is Bruno Battarello. He was, he's our CTO. And he was a part of Wear Incorporated, which you know, the, the branch manager of Croatia there. And he, uh, his company was acquired by eBay PayPal. And so he's worked with these sort of high-end distributed architecture systems with security and, and has developed, you know, purchasing front ends before. So we're kind of, we have a bit of an advantage and a head start in that sense, because he, you know, he's done this sort of thing before. So we, we went to work with that. We just haven't quite rolled it all out because we don't want to be so early that we're kind of, uh, you know, a, a little too early for our own good. Sure. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the way we look at it is that people want this content and they're, they're, they value it and Amazon is valuing it. And so, um, r- we are happy to kind of forego the the free uh, reward um, for certain for certain um, high quality content pieces that we've created. And when we launch and release those, we will be asking people to you know pay a fee to have access to it um, as a part of their you know, and then it would be registered on their EarPlay account. So it's it's similar to what you would see in you know most uh, marketing storefronts or uh, storefront markets. Okay. No, that's great. Uh, so I definitely wanted to ask about that. Let's let's uh, let's shift gears to uh, to some more fun stuff and talk about. I want to ask both of you, what is your favorite game of all time? Dave, you can go first. Well, that's a, a terribly difficult question. Um, okay, the, the the one that I often trot out uh, is something called The Adventures of Sean Two, which. Um, you know, is is only at at various moments my favorite game of all time. Uh, but 
It, it was a uh, little-known uh, hypercard stack game um, from probably the late '80s, I would say. Uh, and it was yes, and 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 um, so only playable now by uh, preservationists. I actually keep uh, an, an old Mac laptop under my desk so that I can fire it up every once in a while. Hmm. Uh, and it was drawn using the uh, actual hypercard drawing tools so it looks if you if you remember those kind of like a, a child's crayon drawing but in black and white um, and 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 what it does is it focuses on all of the things that I thought were most important about adventure games at the time it's got it's got fun puzzles and it's got a narrative that you that you get caught up in uh, and you can influence it and cause some crazy things to happen and play it for a few hours and, and have fun and that for me is kind of the root of of, uh, of, of good gameplay experience so I'm gonna go with that one. Oh wow that's a, that's a tough one I kind of have to separate it between sort of what I would call like classic gaming and, and more contemporary. Okay. Uh, classic being like, you know, I grew up on Nintendo and so M- Metroid was kind of the pinnacle of, of the most awesome sort of, you know, uh, not only platformer, but a little bit of an adventurous feel to it. Uh, you know, I really, really liked Met- Metroid. It just seemed so vast when I was young and the, uh, uh but yeah, the unlocking system there was pretty cool. Um, but again, that's, that's, what I would call more of like an earlier classic or like primitive sort of design. What I love that's contemporary would be the mass effect series. Mm. Um, I thought it's just really, really well done. Um, like role-playing game experience. That's very character heavy and party based mechanics where you can go and recruit people and bring them along. And um, it, it took, you know, what are kind of role-playing games, the, the, the entire Bioware model, um, that's the company that created it. They were acquired by EA. They, they had taken uh, what were kind of sit-down tabletop mechanics and turned them into kind of a third-person shooter that you can roam around and, and still have sort of decisions that were very meaty and narrative and story-based. And so I really, really liked that. I thought that was kind of the, the best thing that, that, um, that Bioware has put out is that Mass Effect series. They blew it with Andromeda, though. That's I haven't played it. Yeah, I'm so busy now. I am kind of not a good gamer anymore. <laughs> uh, I, but I, I heard that uh, as well. Uh, but I, I think it was it was outsourced. I don't think it was actually Bioware themselves that created it. There was a, a, a sister studio, I believe. No, yeah, we all have uh, much less time to game. I was talking to Dave about that before we we started, and uh, you know, when you look at, uh, I've been looking forward to that coming out, and you you look on Metacritic, and it said like you know. 80 or 78 or something and you're used to mass effect being like in the 90s and you're like um okay the precious free time uh that's available will not be deployed on that <laughs> and then you read that they're not doing dlc for it uh which is disappointing but yeah mass effect phenomenal uh, those are very interesting uh, answers that that y'all provided one reason i'm fascinated by your company is just my own personal experience of just sort of being captivated by the storytelling of video games. Um, and really, my, my first experience, I, I played some PC games back in the 80s. One of the very first that I played was called Battletech, the Crescent Hawks Inception. Do either of y'all know what that is? Nope. Oh, goodness. Okay. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm stumped on this one. Uh, You'll have to Google this. So, uh, yeah. yeah, it was a PC game. Uh, and, um, I, you know, I wouldn't know what year. I think I played it probably in 86, 87. Um, and it had uh, a lot of text, and uh, that's probably why my parents let me play it, is because you know I had to read 
Um, and uh, it was sort of interesting and it had, it was pretty much an RPG, uh, type of thing. And, uh, uh, and then I got into, uh, real-time strategy games with, uh, Dune 2, which came out and, uh, than Warcraft, of course. But the, the first real experience I had where I saw the power of storytelling was with Final Fantasy 2 and 3 on Super Nintendo. Just blown away by that. And then, you know, uh, over the years, uh, games that have sort of pushed the envelope in that realm. You know, Telltale has been one of them, pushing storytelling and creating experiences that are all centered around a narrative rather than all centered around graphics or all centered around gameplay. You know, that's that's huge. One of my favorite Telltale games, by the way, I think it was probably after you might have left, Dave, but it was called The Wolf Among Us. Uh, Love that no, game. No, that was that was kind of uh, my, my last hurrah there, actually, was was that game. I, I did direct one of the episodes and uh, broke the story uh, for the season with a couple of other guys. So. Absolutely love uh, thank that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for that. And, uh, and of course, The Walking Dead. The one that really stands out to me is Heavy Rain, uh, just in terms of games that have evolved, uh, that sort of push the envelope forward. If y'all haven't played that or don't know, I'm sure you know what it is. But, I mean, that to me, that was a seminal moment, uh, that, that game. Have y'all played that? We we definitely uh, we all played that at, at Telltale. We were uh, trying to mine it for for whatever we could. I definitely thought that w- while the some of the mechanics were were sort of more difficult than they should be. Like um, I remember walking around required more than one thing to do with your hands. You had to like mm. push two different, two different buttons or something. But certainly narratively, it was it was really good in terms of kind of keeping the keeping the pacing going and just kind of dropping you into the into the story and letting you letting you do stuff. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's the way I, I felt about it. And, and now we're about to be in an age where, you know, with all these different things, I mean, what you guys are doing with voice audio based games can just be, can be just as immersive, if not more than anything else, you know, and, and of course we have, we have VR coming out. We got all sorts of stuff. It, it's about to be probably the best time for gaming that there's ever been, but this is a good transition to asking you both. And Dave, I'll start with you on this. When you are looking at a game, what what makes a great game experience? And let's let's limit it to to the voice to the audio only realm. How do you produce that type of experience? What what uh, what goes into that? Share some of that with us. Well, I mean, I think the core of it is giving the player something fun to do while they're talking. Um, and and for us that is a, is a um that's a it's a kind of a narrative question i mean people are going to make different kinds of, of voice games but we're very much after a kind of a, a role-playing experience not uh in the sort of rpg sense of the word but in the uh the more childlike sense where you know you when you're a kid you play games like house and cops and robbers where you're just sort of running around with your friends and you're making up a story as you, as you go and I think what we're after is is trying to uh, inject some of that into uh, audio dramas, so that you you get wrapped up uh, in the story and you really feel like you're you're playing a part. And uh, the way the way we do that and make it compelling is mostly um, about engineering these uh, frequent moments of choice uh, for the audience, so that you know every. 30 or 60 seconds you're called upon to to participate in some way and we always try and make it a a, a, um, a, a, a choice 
or a question where you have more than one good answer. Because if you if you have no answers, then it's not fun because you're either either you don't know what to say or you don't care what to say. If you only have one answer, then you sort of feel like yeah yeah okay let's let's move on. But if you've got two good answers, that's when you really get wrapped up in the experience because you have to think like, oh, gosh, which way do I want this to, to go? Which, which thing do I do? And you start to imagine the possibilities of the experience. And that's, that's when I think we, we got you and we're giving you something good. Yeah. And to, to piggyback on that, I think that you know, when you're talking about choice and the type of role playing, um, it, to me, it's a little bit more about a dramatic action or a dramatic sequence of events or an arc of experience than it is necessarily a, a sort of a mechanical system. The system is sort of there and we almost want the, the mechanical system to fall to the background. What we, we did with Codename Cygnus is we had some like RPG style variables um, where we were tracking, at least in the earliest version that we put out there that was on mobile, we were tracking, you know, um, athletic versus um, clever, whether you handled things physically or, or with your brain, uh, bold versus secretive, what kind of secret agent were you? Or are you the person that just kind of announces your presence or do you like to go incognito? And we were tracking this and serving it up in, inside the app. And what we and part of that was just by virtue of the fact that we had a very limited vocabulary and we had to like kind of associate your voice command choices with um, you know, with actions. And so, and now luckily we, we put out a new version, Codename Signature Reactivated. Actually, it's coming out Thursday. It will be the four-year anniversary uh, of, of the release of that on mobile. And it's a new version that, that we're uh, rolling out on Alexa and Google. But um, what we found was that the, the actual numbers sort of, again, like I said, kind of drifted to the background of the experience. We thought that there would be a lot of engagement about people caring about the stats um, but they just wanted more story <laughs> and they wanted to kind of just play over again and hear the different pathways and hear the different voices and experience the, like the different emotions and levels of success and failure as they moved through. Uh, and again, that isn't success and failure in the sort of typical video game sense of like, oh, you die and you start over but more in the sense of like um, consequences, like you made, you, you, you accomplished the goal, but did you make this character or that character happy? You know, uh, things like that. And so, you know, uh, it's interesting when we when we say like is this a game or not like i think there is some truth to that but we've always had a little trouble sort of categorizing ourselves um and and we ultimately just kind of follow the method that dave sort of described like what is it you do what's your action what are you saying and and how are you participating but um when it comes to marketing when we put ourselves out there it's like well you know yeah we fall under the category of games but there were times in the early app store days of of, of our stuff that we were like oh well, we tried putting ourselves under sort of a category of of of, of you know just basic entertainment and we're, are we in like kind of an audio book that's interactive or or are we an interactive drama it's it's really tough and eventually we just quit trying to categorize ourselves <laughs> but um but yeah i always thought that was kind of an interesting aspect of what we do is that you know the, sometimes the more gamey we would try to make the experience the less entertaining it, act, it would actually be um not and that doesn't mean that that that's the truth for the way everybody wants to design these things. It's just sort of more core to like how your play operates. Well, sure. And I think that you see that in, in video games in general, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like stuff like um, uh, just pick a game where, where like bat, like Batman Arkham Asylum, like that whole series, like we're, or, or stuff like that. Mass Effect is another good example where 
modern game making has has come to include collecting all this stuff. <laughs> you know, and there's all these, and that's just one mechanic I'm refer- that, that you're referring to that I'm sort of re- referring to. But, you know, there's all these different things that really have nothing to do with having fun. Um, and, it's, and I think that what you guys are doing and wh- why it's so unique is that you have the opportunity to move away from that. And that's what I hear you saying. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. I think it's, it's more just about you imagining yourself in a role and what you're perceiving as, um, you know, a, a series of choices and actions. And, uh, you know, it, to go back to, you know, Mass Effect, they had this interesting mechanic and it, and it worked to an extent, but it was the um, uh, Paragon Renegade dichotomy. And it was essentially kind of like the dark of the light, you know, like in, in, in Star Wars, right? The, sure. you know, the force or the, uh, the dark side. And, and so, you know, it's the kind of thing that, that you know, it's, it's interesting because it gives you a, a base of understanding of what's going on in the system. You're choosing between the dark and the light. But after that, you know, really, you kind of just make your choice one way or the other. And you kind of keep trying to be that person. Or at least you're aware that at every choice, there is this sort of thing going on in the background where you're kind of, uh, you're being evaluated. So it, it, it helps to add to the experience. But I don't think it was something that, that people really paid a lot of attention to. They're like, oh, I, did you play... I did a Renegade playthrough or I did a uh, Paragon playthrough. So it doesn't affect the decision-making, you know, in quite the same mechanical way, but because it's there in your head and you're thinking about every decision I can make is on the path towards either good or bad. Um, it, it, it has a profound effect on sort of the narrative experience. And I think that's what we're always kind of looking for is what are those um, little touches that make you feel like you're in a mechanical system that, that make the, it just makes the story more robust. As my final question for both of y'all, I want to ask and get both of your opinions on for college students, graduate school students listening to this, people sitting in a cubicle somewhere doing something they hate and want to get into gaming and are listening to this and and see the rise of of voice technology, see the rise of audio-based entertainment and and think they may have a passion for it or uh, uh, be interested in it as a career. What are the underlying skills that folks who are interested in your field should be learning um, in order to add value to some organization like your play or be able to have a career? From my perspective, uh, dramatic writing is important. Understanding, having an ear for dialogue, being able to write the way that people speak. And also, you know, I would, I would say take courses in linguistics and, and language theory, because I think that's a huge part right now. We're at the stage where, um, Developing language models, developing voice UI and voice UX is still feels like a very objective thing. And it's presented as sort of a science as a, as a way of, you know, developing these mechanical systems. But really, there's an art to it. And I think that that's what I think we do well is we develop these, these language models that can hold a lot of different utterances. But it's based on how we design the prompts. It's based on how we choose which words we're listening for, or which words we're asking them, and how they relate phonetically to each other. Um, and, and so I, you know, that, that, that is a, a tip I, w- I would have is like study, study how language works, like English, uh, and how it breaks down into its parts, um, and how people speak it. I will add, uh, computer science. I think you, you should, uh, learn a little computer science, even if that's not, uh, the role that you're going to play. It's helpful for any kind of game just to kind of understand, uh, how things might work under the hood and what the dynamics are of an interactive system. There's, there's no better way to learn that than to, than to try a little, a little programming yourself. Um, I found 
that virtually every class I ever took and everything I ever did with my buddies outside of school has, has been applied in some way over the course of my career in games. Like everything just somehow applies. The, the, the one thing that I regret is not taking enough history classes. Had I realized at the time that history is just a whole bunch of really good stories <laughs> that, uh, that people are telling over and over, uh, I might have thought of it as, as more useful to, 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 to my path. Um, but, you know, all, all kinds of things are applicable. I, I think um, learning about music uh, it was, is really helpful just for developing a sense of timing for things, which is, which is important and is especially important in audio games. Uh, and also... Um, Outside of just the stuff that you're doing in school, it's I think it's ever more important to noodle around and kind of make your own stuff, which is currently not that hard um, for, for doing audio games. There, there are systems out there where you can just kind of put together something simple in your garage, get a little experience with it, and have something to show off when you then go out and try and hook up with other people who are doing it professionally and kind of make a, make a career for yourself. Having a, having a good demo reel is, is key. Yeah, and actually to piggyback off that a little bit, I think that if you're in college or you're just getting out and you're wanting to get involved in this, it's a really nice time where there are a lot of resources out there that are available. And there are some communities, especially when it comes to creating Alexa skills, you know, like Slack group, things like that, where if you're motivated and you have the base skills that that can, you know, get you through creating something, just making it yourself is the best thing you can possibly do. Just go out and just get it done. Just make something happen. Um, you know, th- th- that's what a lot of people, even outside of voice, you know, tell those who want to, you know, tell those who want to get in the games industry, you know, you should just make a game, get a game out and make it, you know, there's an indie sort of community out there in just about every major city that will support and help and, you know, give you feedback on these things. And I think that something similar is happening in the sort of Alexa and Google Assistant ecospheres um, where there's, there is sort of a community of people who like, you know, you know, tinkering and, and thinking about these things. And so, you know, uh, but, but I think the, the sort of inter- the price of admission is just to get rolling and start making something. Excellent. So I greatly appreciate both of your time today and, and your generosity in sharing your, your expertise and your experience for folks who have listened to this, who want to follow up uh, with y'all and reach out to earplay. What's the best way to do that? Um, you can go to www.earplay.com. You can also um, email info at earplay.com um, if you want to reach out and have any questions. Awesome. John, Dave, thank you both very, very much uh, for your time today. Uh, greatly appreciate it. For August 29th, 2017, the Voice First Roundtable, thank you for listening. And until next time.